So we are, like I mentioned, we're in the middle of this, well, towards the end of this series, uh, The Wanderer. And I want to take you on a quick recap, just very quickly as to what, where we've been so far. So Genesis 12, or at the end of Genesis 11, God calls this guy called Abram. And he calls him out. He's a, he's a pagan. He's not a, he's not a worshiper of God in any sense. And he says, listen, I'm going to bless you so that the whole world could be blessed. But I need you to go. I need you to leave everything you know. I need you to leave land and home and property and and family and name. I need you to go. And Abraham, in a great show of faith, goes. He goes. And we, we applaud him for his going. But then in the same chapter, in chapter 12, he gets a bit scared. He's fearful. And he basically pimps out his wife, Sarah, so that he can be protected. Then, Genesis 15, God almost reconfirms his promise to him. And they, they cut a covenant. And Brad spoke to us about that, where, where the covenant, a covenant was made between two people. And what happens is, uh, you, we see this, this sort of pillar of fire walking through these torn pieces of dead animals. And what that means is, God is telling Abraham, if either one of us breaks this covenant, I will be torn to pieces. And he recommits himself. Genesis 16, years pass. And Abraham is, is, is just thinking, where's this blessing? I'm supposed to be a father of many nations, and yet I remain childless. And my wife, Sarah, who's very old, remains childless. So what do they do? What do they do in Genesis 16? This is what Sarah does. He goes, okay, okay. God promised us this, but it's just not working out. So I'm going to give you my, my slave, my maidservant, Hagar. And you're gonna, uh, she's going to be promoted from a slave to a wife, and she will give you children. And Ishmael is born. Then, chapter 17, God comes and visits them again. And he goes, no, 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 see, it's going to be through Sarah. It's going to be through Sarah that the nations will be blessed. And Abraham laughs. And Sarah laughs. And it, it, it isn't like a cute laugh, like, oh, that's nice. It's sort of like the laugh, it, it's a mocking laugh. It's a mock of, it, it's a laugh of unbelief. It's a laugh of ridicule. And what's happening is they are ridiculing God's promises. It's, it's sort, of like, sort of like this. I went to, the, to my annual uh, gym trip. I got a free pass. I got a free pass. And I'm on my way out. My buddy and I, you know, we're leaving, and he, you know, he trained me, and I was dead for a week. And as we were walking out, the, the front reception, the, the lady said, oh, I'll see you next week. And I just, <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, you'll see me next week. I'll see you next year. This is my yearly pilgrimage. I'm done. And it's that kind of laugh, that ridicule. Like, yeah, you, you think so, but that's not going to happen. And they laugh. And they mock God and they scorn him and his promises. And 25 years after God gave him the promise, 25 years, they wait And finally, Genesis 21, our text, finally, God delivers on his promise. 
we could hardly wait like 10 seconds for our Netflix to load up before we choose something else because we're impatient. And they wait 25 years with a lot of hiccups, with a lot of unfaithfulness. But what we learn is this today, that God is faithful. That God is faithful. And that even in the face of your and mine and Abraham and Sarah's faithlessness, he remains faithful. So I want to ask you to open up if you have a Bible. Open up to the first book in the Bible, Genesis, chapter 21. The, the, the verses should be behind me as well. Genesis 21, from the first verse, it says this. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I, had, I have borne him a son in his old age. And I want you to notice just a couple things. Repetition is extremely important. It, it, is, it, is, it is a Hebrew way of, of italicizing or underlining or making him bold. And I want you to just read this again with me. Listen, the Lord visited, visited Sarah as he had said. And he did to her as he had promised. And again in, in verse 2, at the time of which God had spoken to him. And what this is screaming out to you as you read this is that God, in the face of adversity, in the face of barrenness, in the face of everything, is faithful. And if you leave with one thing today, and my sermon is almost over, is this, that God is faithful. But maybe for a lot of us, that just, it's ringing hollow. If you've been, uh, you know, at church for any number of years, and you've, you probably have heard this over and over and over again, or maybe you used to be someone who believed this, but now, not so much. And you need to know this, that in the middle of barrenness, when you are having the worst time at work or uni, when there is marital conflict, when every single test that you take is negative, and you've been praying for years for God, for children. He's faithful, and he's doing something in you that even now sometimes we cannot comprehend. But when things are bad, when things, you know, when, when, when Sarah was experiencing year after year after year after year of hearing this promise, I'm going to give you kids. I mean, she was, she was in, her, in her 80s. She gave birth in her 90s. Like, I'm, I was 22, and I had, like, I'm like, 
Imagine waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. But the reality is this, that even when we remain faithless, when we go our way, and, and, and faith is this, you know, Abraham is called the father of faith. And yet, look at his life. Look at his life. I mean, I would, I would dare you to go home, just read Genesis 12 to 22, and just look at his life. And yet, the book of Hebrews says he's the father of faith. And, and so something, two things are going on. Either, either the person who wrote the book of Hebrews is wrong, or we have this idealized, false idea of what faith is. Faith in the life of Abraham is not so much that he gets everything right, but that when he gets it wrong, he comes back to God. And even in his unfaithfulness, God is holding on to him. And what you need to know in all of your situations right now that you're facing, some of you have come in stressed and burdened, and you don't know how you're going to balance that checkbook at the end of the month. I mean, some of you just, just uh, you know, don't know what, what's going what's gonna to come, and you feel this burden that God has left you, that God has abandoned you. You've lost loved ones. You experience pain in your body every day in your mind. Some of you are suffering with depression and anxiety, and you think, God has left me. And if you hear anything, hear this. God is faithful, and he is with you. And despite your circumstances, he is walking with you. But this is the thing. We expect God's faithfulness to come the way we want it. We expect him to serve us the way we feel we need. And most of the time, we're two things. We're shallow and we're transactional. And this is what I mean by shallow. Shallow is we think that what we need is for God to change our circumstances. We think that if I just had better behaved kids, then I'd be holy. I'd be better. My life would, would make it. If I owned a home, then finally I would make it. If my spouse was just was a, a holier, if, if I had a different spouse, God, I'd be better. If I had a different job, if I had enough money, we think that we need to leave our circumstances for God to change us. Dallas Willard says this in a, an amazing book called The Divine Conspiracy. He said this, We must accept the circumstances we constantly find ourselves in as the place of God's kingdom and blessing. God has yet to bless anyone except where they actually are. And if we faithlessly discard situation after situation, moment after moment, as not being quote-unquote right, we will simply have no place to receive the kingdom into our life. For those situations and moments are our life. They are our life. Now, I want to I, I temper that with saying, listen, some of us are in situations that need to change straight away. If you're in an abusive relationship, God is not calling you to stay there. If you're in a relationship with someone who is, is taking you away, your, your, your attention away from Jesus and your relationship with him in the world, then you're not called to stay there. But for most of us, we constantly think 
that if our, if our circumstances change, then everything will change. And that is shallow and that's a lie. But also we're, situ- we're, 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 uh, we're transactional. We think this. We think if God gives me something, then I'll be better. See, because if it comes from God, it must be spiritual and, and, and that'll fix things. It's as if we think that God gives us this, this, this ooze or this mist or this substance called grace. But we're not called to be transactional the way that we buy a latte in the morning and say, well, this is, th- thank you for your services, God. I'll go on my way. Two sugars, please. And we, we think that God just gives us something, but he doesn't. He gives us someone. So we're not called to be shallow and transactional. We are called to be deep and relational. And God, in the life of Abraham and Sarah, yes, he is concerned to bless the world through them. But he's also concerned for them and their hearts. And maybe God has promised you things that you have not seen in your life just yet. And he's concerned not to just give you something, but to give you someone, himself mainly. He calls us to be deep people who know that underneath all of our circumstances, what we truly need more than anything else is a changed heart. Our new affections for him so that we love things rightly in their order, so that we love him above everything else. He wants us not to only be shallow, but deep, not only getting something from him, but getting someone, namely himself. And he goes on in the text where we, 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 we see something that's very, and to the naked eye may not be, but very interesting. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. People who hear of this will laugh over me. And we go from a woman who laughed scornfully, who laughed uh, uh, unfaithfully, who laughed at God. And now God's giving her a gift of laughter. And there's joy. And what you need to know is that whether in this life or the next, God will ultimately deliver and will give you laughter. But this laughter turns sour real quick. Turns sour real quick. Verse 8, come with me. And the child grew. This is Isaac. And was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned, which, was, which means he's about three years old. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. Laughing. What's happening here? See, this is what's happening here. So you, you, have, you have Sarah who gave Hagar to Abraham. So they have a kid called Ishmael. And now he's about 15 or 16 years old. And he hears that this is the promised kid now. And now what Sarah has done to God by mocking him, now Ishmael is mocking the promises of God as well in Isaac. And Sarah will have none of it. She says, so she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son. For the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. 
And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off about a distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of my child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of the Lord called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with the water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with a bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. What is going on here? This is what I think is going on in the mind and heart of Sarah. Why is it? This is the question. Why does Sarah go from joy to feeling so incredibly sour about her son being mocked? I mean, you, you, can, you can imagine Sarah. She's that, she's that overprotective mom on the playground. She sees her kid, and she sort of like protects him from all the other mean moms and kids. And the question is, why does she go from such joy to such rage? Why does she go from such joy such rage because this is this is the thing this was her idea this was her own unfaithfulness coming to bite her in the behind so a couple things that we learn is this that even though God continues to be faithful to us right even when we are unfaithful to him our unfaithfulness can come later on and bite us in the behind but the question is, what's going on in Sarah's heart? And this is what I think is going on. 25 years she waits for this promise. In the middle of that, she gets this other kid, Ishmael, who, who's trying to, you know, her idea, though. And then he tries to take the inheritance. He mocks the rightful son, and she gets rid of them. But she has her son. And what's happening in, 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 in Sarah's heart is that she has traded in the God of promise with the promise of God. She has traded in the God who promises her for the promises of the God. And this is what we do so often. We say, yes, Lord, I, I want to be blessed. I want to be blessed. And what happens, God blesses us, and then we surround ourselves, and we bring our affections fully on the thing that he gives us so that we can enjoy him. And yet, we cut him out of the picture. We cut him out of the picture, and it seems that Sarah is so overly protective of her son because he, she has lifted him up to the status that only God should hold. 
What led her to do this? She loved the gift over the giver. And every single one of us has done this. Every single one of us has substituted something for God. So whether you are here and you have been a believer for years or you're not, you don't identify as a Christian, we all worship something. We all hold something up where we say, this is the thing that gives me my identity. This is the thing that gives me my worth. And for a time like Sarah's time, where a woman who was barren, literally meant nothing. She was to be ridiculed and scorned. A woman who could not have children in this culture was nothing. And some of us may be thinking, well, that's oppressive. We do the same thing today. A woman who isn't the right figure is nothing. A woman who doesn't have certain freedoms, quote-unquote, that we, we ascribe is nothing. So we are no less oppressive. We're oppressive in different ways. But here you need to understand that when Sarah receives Isaac, she receives such a gift. And what happens in her heart is that she elevates the gift above the giver. She substitutes. She substitutes what God has given her to bless the nations and she lifts him up to the status. And ultimately, we see in, 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 in the, the rest of the story of Isaac that it's a very dysfunctional family. And so, where do we go from here? If we so often, if we are so inclined to substitute God for something else, what is the answer? Because we're just like her. You and I... You know, we tend to, to identify ourselves with the heroes in the story, you know, with the Chris Pratts and the superheroes, and, and we, we're the good, you know, we're always the, the cowboys with the white hats in a story. But you and I are like Sarah. We're more like Sarah than we want to admit. We're more like Sarah than we know. And the question is, what is the answer? And the answer is this, that when we substitute ourselves, anything that's created for God, God has substituted himself for us. The only way that you can break the chains of loving anything more than God himself is by seeing and feeling and knowing and tasting and experiencing the reality that God, even when you have substituted yourself for him, has substituted himself for you. Because every single one of us deserves death because we have ultimately all and, 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 and not only deserve death, but will receive death because we purposefully cut ourselves off from the source of life. If God created everything that exists and he is the sustainer of everything and we cut ourselves off and we expect then to continue and we live off of residue, we expect to continue to live. And yet what I'm telling you here is that when, we, you, when you cut yourself off, the source of life, how could we expect to live? If we all stopped breathing, if we, if, 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 we, if we went home, we cut off the lights, 
and we expect light. We stop breathing and we expect breath. And it's foolishness. But because we have done that, listen, God in Christ has done that for you. And in Hebrews, Hebrews 12 talks about Jesus and what he did on the cross. And it says that for the joy that was set before him, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What's, what's that joy? Is it, is it union with the Father? He had that for eternity. Is it the love of the Father? He had that since forever. What is this joy that Hebrews 12, chapter 2 talks about? Verse 2, that the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. You're that joy. You're that joy. You're that joy. That when Jesus was on the cross, dying, bleeding out, suffocating, he had you in his mind's eye. So the question is, what can't I not give for him? The, the, the question is not how much I can give to him, which is, which is our, all of our life. But why should I want to hold anything back? And maybe you're here today and you've been holding back. And you haven't realized that all of the years that you've been substituting yourself for something created for God, that he has come down for you and substituted himself for you. And so maybe you don't identify as a Christian here today, but I'm calling you now. I'm not, I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm not trying to get you into a psychologically, uh, 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 you know, uh, prime spot for me to inundate my faith on you. No, I'm saying this, that without Christ, you are lost. And you will continue your lostness into eternity if you don't cherish and accept this by faith. You don't need to do anything. It's not like I'm asking you, hey, what you need to do now, now this is the fine print. You need to join here and you need to do all these things. You need to clean your life up. No, no, listen. Even when we were yet sinners, even when we were yet enemies of God, he died for us. He died for you. And so the call today and the reminder today is that when we are faithless, God is faithful. And when we substitute him for anything that he's given us, you need to remember this, that he has substituted himself for us and for you. So the question is, do you want that? Do you want a God not who only gives you law from afar, but who has come near and has lived the life that you and I could never live? Praise Jesus. And he has died the death that you and I deserve so that we can live with him today and in eternity. Even when we are faithless, he is faithful. And the life of Abraham and Sarah show us that even when we are very faithless, he remains faithful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are for us in Christ.
we just ask now, Lord, that you will bring to mind and to heart those who may be far away from you right now, those who may not identify with you, Lord, that they will see that cutting themselves off of the author of life is death. And you call us to life. And that all of our failures, all of our circumstances, all of our hardships, all of our, even our own unbelief, is like nothing to you. You've overcome that on the cross. We ask for your help, Holy Spirit, to make this true to our hearts. Help us to love well. Help us to repent well. Help us to sing well. Help us to live the life that you have called us to. Not because we are earning anything, but because you have earned it for us. So thank you for the freedom that's in the gospel. So Holy Spirit, move now. Call people now into your family. And may we be there ready to party with them. That they have moved from death to life. That they have seen that even in the face of their own unfaithfulness, Lord, you remain faithful. Help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.